Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Monday, March 20th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. A conservative motion goes before the House of Commons today by leader Pierre Poilievre. If passed, it would force the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, several politicians, including the Deputy Prime Minister, and senior security officials to appear as witnesses at the Ethics Committee to probe foreign interference. We need an ethical study on what exactly Trudeau did when he learned of this illegal interference by a foreign dictatorship to help him keep power. And the Ethics Committee is the most independent and best place to do that. We call on the Prime Minister to stop the cover-up. If he's got nothing to hide, why doesn't he allow his chief of staff to come and tell the truth. The Prime Minister dismisses the move as political theatre. Mr. Polyev is more interested in ginning up a partisan circus around this issue than he is in actually making sure that Canadians get answers to the questions that they legitimately have about whether or not our institutions are continuing to be strong and whether the people in those institutions are doing the right things to keep Canadians safe. And we're just a few days away from U.S. President Joe Biden's first official visit to Canada. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. Joining us is Rob Russo, political analyst and former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief. Good morning, Rob. Julie, how are you? I'm just great, and I'm happy to see you here on our little Zoom call. So we have lots to talk about, and today in the House of Commons is a motion put forward by Pierre Polyev, uh, the leader of the opposition, and that seeks to summon a whole host of people, including uh, Katie Telford, the chief of staff to the prime minister, some cabinet ministers, including Christia Freeland, uh, former ambassador um, uh, John McCallum. There's a long, long list, and the debate starts later today, uh, all to kind of look into, uh, keep looking into this Chinese interference into Canada's election. So what do you make of it? Well, I think that there are some legitimate questions that have to be answered by the prime minister on, on uh, Chinese interference in our elections. Number one, I mean, I, we, we need... I think everybody knows it's going on. Everybody knows it's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, look, I'm uh, I'm I'm old, so I, I didn't I didn't cover the 1962 or 63 elections, but I do know that John F. Kennedy tried to interfere in those ones. So there were days when the Americans were interfering in our elections. Um, but but Chinese interference goes has gone on for a long time. What we don't know is uh, what information was given to the prime minister when this was going on. Uh, how did he and his government react to it? And did they do so in, a, in, in ways that was commensurate with the seriousness of the situation? We don't know that. So the opposition is trying to get at that. Uh, and one way to get at that is to bring the people in who were around the prime minister and advising him on what was happening uh, and, and ask him what he knew about it. And up until now, we've seen what is called a filibuster where uh, essentially uh, members of, of, um, the, of the parliamentary committee, in this case, representing the liberal government, prevent the opposition from bringing this motion to a vote by using silly procedural tactics. It, it, it actually, it, it's a time-honored way of preventing uh, things from going forward, but it, it actually looks kind of silly. They start drifting off and, and essentially um, 
doing the the uh, equivalent of political scatting, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, banal conversations, reading the phone book, extolling the virtues of the pair, whatever. Um, uh, and, and, and the liberals not, did this for three days, right, to make sure that yeah. Katie Telford didn't get pulled into a committee. Um, so, so this is a votable motion that, as I say, drags in or not drags in, but summons a lot of people. Do you think there's any, the, um, all the parties basically have said, we want a public inquiry. Do you think there's any way this motion could pass? Unlikely. It, it appears that the NDP has cast their lot in with the government. You know, what will be really interesting, it will be interesting to see if the, if the Liberals are nervous about this and they and they make this a vote of confidence. And if they make it a vote of confidence, then the uh, agreement between the NDP and the Liberals comes into bear. And that might be the fig leaf that the NDP needs to uh, to, vo- to vote for this. They, they, they have an agreement that they won't bring down the government on confidence motions until 2025. Um, but that'll that'll be a real sign of, of liberal despair and, and a lack of confidence if, if that happens. But, you know, even if it goes down, the conservatives, the people around the conservatives and even the people around the block believe they win in the long term because then they can prepare their campaign, which will be if you vote for the NDP, you're voting for the liberals. They're a coalition. Uh, and again, uh, you and I were around about uh, 11, 12 years ago when Stephen Harper very, very successfully voted against the threat of a liberal NDP coalition to win his one and only majority government. Right. And so, uh, Rob, when we look at this story, because we've seen a lot of stories that um, so-called have legs, right? And this story seems to have legs. It's been dogging the prime minister since February 17th. That's a whole month when the Globe broke the story of, uh, you know, Chinese interference in Canadian elections. Now, he's he's uh, he said he wants to get to the bottom of it. He's sent it to uh, a committee and an agency that have acronyms we don't want to get into here. And last week, when the House was on break, he appointed David Johnson as the rapporteur. Uh, I'm sure he thought, OK, this is going to put a lid on it. So, no, I mean, we talk about the story having legs. Boy, oh boy, he strapped on extenders uh, to this story when he made uh, made the decision to appoint a special rapporteur to give him advice on whether or not to call an inquiry. Just think about how much further ahead he would have been if he just called an inquiry, uh, if he just named uh, um, an eminent jurist, untainted in any way. And I'm not saying that Mr. Johnson is tainted, but he does have an association with the Trudeau family. He also... Uh, has an association with past inquiries uh, that that set controversial terms of reference. And that's that's the Oliphant inquiry mm-hmm. where he decided that he was not going to have the uh, the judge, uh, Judge Oliphant, look into the Airbus affair, thereby setting terms of reference that kept Stephen Harper and conservatives out of the muck of the Airbus affair. Uh, and if you if you go back and look at what happened, other countries involved in buying Airbus uh, jets at around the same time ended up getting deferred prosecution agreements uh, and getting fines uh, totaling almost four billion dollars poured into their co- coffers by Airbus. Canada didn't get anything as a result of this. So uh, the prime minister, if he had just said, "I'm I'm going to find an eminent jurist," 
Um, and I'm going to I'm going to allow him to proceed with a, an inquiry. It can be a judicial review. It can be a public inquiry, whatever the judge that then he would have been a little bit further ahead. I don't think that the scandal uh, or the controversy would have gone away, but it certainly would have been attenuated uh, because one way or another, all three opposition parties who control votes on committees and control the House of Commons if they want to have decided there has to be a public inquiry. Why he delayed? Uh, not only did he lengthen the legs, he put long, bristly hairs on those legs, and they're really uncomfortable rubbing up against them right now, if I can give you an ugly image. <laughs> well, I mean, he says, uh, like I say, that he wants to get to the bottom of this, but he seems to be taking the most circuitous route possible. It's as if I said, the answer is in Montreal, but let's stop in Castleman, Rigo, and Baudry on our way. Like, he seems to be yeah. taking a very roundabout way. And by appointing David Johnson, we know that David Johnson is not going to set up, you know, a table on the Spark Street Mall and start in, in interviewing people. That will be in secret. So I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, this all began with leaks. Do you think the leaks will continue? Um, interesting to say whether or not um, they, they, the, the, the leaker actu actually came out and, and wrote about in his Globe Mail in a stunning piece uh, uh, re released Friday afternoon. Um, his his motivation or his or her motivation um, for for making the the documents public um, was 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 that the the final act for for the leaker or was that just a, a sort of a midway justification uh, for continuing to do what's been done up up until now nobody knows I thought that was very very interesting because it made it clear uh, number one. The Globe wasn't um, getting reports and documents from a third party. They were getting them directly from a source um, who's who's affiliated with our security and intelligence apparatus. Um, and I, in many ways, it vindicates the, the, the Globe's reporting. I always thought the reporting was solid because it came from documents. Now we know the documents are provided from a firsthand security and intelligence official. Um, so... I, the, the story isn't going to go away. Do I believe um, this is going to lead to the prime minister's government falling? Probably not. The NDP has made it clear that they want to see the um, uh, evidence in a public inquiry before deciding what to do and to go further. And that means if there's a public inquiry, this is going to go on for a long, long time. Um, uh, questions have to be asked. Witnesses have to be called. Uh, it takes months sometimes to set up a public inquiry. And, and uh, there are times when it takes years for that public inquiry to bring in a report. So I don't think it's going to bring the government down. But what it has done, I, I think, is it's shown that this government is in some disarray. Uh, it's shown that the prime minister does not believe that he himself has the credibility to appoint um, somebody to head a public inquiry. Uh, I thought that was the most extraordinary thing I've heard in, in the midst of all of this is that the prime minister said, even if I name somebody, people won't believe that that person has integrity. I thought, boy, we've reached the moment in the prime minister's time where he's admitting uh, that he doesn't have the confidence of a great deal of people. That's a serious thing for a sitting prime minister to say. It's the kind of thing we usually hear at the end of a prime minister's time. Um, right. So, right. Uh, am I saying he's, go he's going to go soon? No. But I think that it, it was a startling thing, an extraordinary thing for a sitting prime minister to acknowledge. 
No, you're absolutely right. You don't often hear that. Like, no matter what I say, no one's going to believe me. You're, many people won't believe me. Uh, we don't have much time left, but I think it, it really merits at least pointing out that we're hit, heading into a busy week, including with the visit of uh, Joe Biden, his first visit to Canada. Just briefly, like, what will you be looking for? Because we'll be talking about all this, you know, this probably every day this week. But what will you be looking for? You know, the, it's, a, it's, it's a huge thing when, when a president decides to come to Canada. It's a, it's a big big uh, chunk of time for a sitting president. You take two days out of a sitting president's schedule, he is making a big, big sacrifice. The great thing for Canada and bilateral issues is it forces the entire information uh, administration to hone in on bilateral issues. Uh, and, and so Canada really needs to profit from this. And what are the two or three things that Canada needs from the United States? Well, it needs help on Roxham Road and, and irregular migration. He needs, he needs the president to help him out on this sort of thing. He also needs the president to make it clear that the Inflation Reduction Act, which has upended the world of subsidies for green industry, um, uh, doesn't sideswipe Canadian industry. But we got a very, very clear indication last week with, with the uh, announcement that a Volkswagen plant, a huge uh, battery, electric battery production plant is coming to St. Thomas, Thomas, Ontario. Yeah. That's right. That Canada is prepared to compete for future industry. Uh, I, I think they're going to have to uh, come to some sort of agreement so that there isn't a subsidy uh, war that, that leads to a race to the bottom, that they work together when they can. But boy, there's going to be competition for that kind of industry in the future. But it's a huge commitment for a U.S. president to make and a big opportunity for Trudeau, maybe a way for him not not to soar, but maybe to pull back on the rudder and get out of the political spiral that he's in right now. Well, he's got four days to do it because uh, Joe Biden comes on Thursday. So he's got to work fast with those long legs that you were talking about. <laughs> anyway, listen, it was great talking to you, Rob. So um, we will talk again next week. That's Rob Russo, political analyst and former CBC Parliamentary Bureau chief. Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh's partnership proves politics works best when no one is watching. She writes, we don't hear a lot about the Liberal NDP deal, and maybe that's why the deal is working, because it doesn't get a lot of attention. When you talk to Liberal or NDP insiders, it's striking how much actually goes on behind the scenes to keep this deal alive on a daily and weekly basis. None of it is particularly sexy or the kind of politics we're accustomed to seeing. In fact, the more one dives into the workings of this arrangement, the more one would almost swear there are two political universes in Ottawa. There's the squalor of the public fray, but there's also the plodding steady work of two parties trying to spare Canadians an election in the immediate future. In the Globe and Mail, Kevin Krausert argues Canada can't electrify everything overnight. He writes, some pundits argue that to achieve Canada's climate goals, oil and gas companies should wind down production and focus on renewables instead of reinvesting in new oil and gas technologies. However, that ignores the larger forces at play in the world as countries move to address the dual challenge of reducing carbon emissions while ensuring energy security for their citizens. Instead of asking, why aren't we getting out of oil and gas altogether? Canadians should ask, how can we fully leverage our energy resources to become world leaders in the transition to a lower carbon future? 
Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The prime minister will take part in a town hall with tech employees in Ottawa. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will be in Oshawa, Ontario, where she'll tour a union training centre and meet with workers before speaking with the media. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will host a pre-budget economic roundtable in Ottawa to discuss international economics and rising inflation. He will also attend question period. Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault will attend Americana 2023 in Montreal. And in Vancouver, International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan will provide details on funding that will help several businesses accelerate their growth and compete globally. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, March 20th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.